Good morning, everybody, or afternoon, or evening, whenever you're listening. My name's John. I'm speaking for Verity Talk, and you right now are listening to Epic Gnosis. I've got some Epic Gnosis for you. Epic Gnosis means uh, revelation knowledge. It's a Bible word, uh, and I have that for you today. So stick around. I'm going to talk about some things about our nation's history. We are a godly nation founded on godly principles, and this will be one of many talks that I'll be giving intermittently about uh, godliness in our nation, the godliness of our founding fathers, and how our past is not toxic to our future to America, which goes contrary to a lot of beliefs and a lot of propaganda that's going out there today. So stick around. I'm going to unload it all for you. All right, everybody. I'm going to be talking a little bit about America's history, our founding fathers. And today I want to specifically go over um, just a few things, uh, some specific uh, founding fathers said. We'll go real basic for you. We'll go George Washington. How many of you out there have heard of George Washington? I sure hope you have. I've seen a couple videos where the people get interviewed and they're like, uh, like who who was the first president of the United States? And people are like, uh, I don't know, Barack Obama? And I'm like, what? No, that's not it. Come on, guys. Uh, George Washington. He's uh, just a brief, brief history if you don't know who he is. George Washington was indeed the first American president of the United States. He um, he was the general and commander of the uh, the United States armies as of uh, 1775. He led the, um, the, the troops at Valley Forge and had a lot of, you know, he had a lot of sway in what happened in the military because of his commander role, obviously. But, um, and of course, a very firm patriot. He was also known for a myth that was told about him at his death, uh, or a couple years after that in the biography that was written about him. He uh, had a myth about him chopping down a cherry tree in his father's, um, what are those called, orchards? And basically it was him chopping down the tree and then his father discovering it and then his father asking him if he was the one who did it, and he was like, yes, it was me. I cannot tell a lie. It's kind of a, it was kind of one of those popular myths about him that lasted for a really long time. Um, and understandably, there were a lot of myths about him. And that's kind of an ironic thing that that was a myth about his integrity. <laughs> I just noticed that. But, um, but seriously, he was actually quite popular for a long time. He he rose to uh, what we might call, you know, stardom or, you know, he had a bit of celebrity status because of his involvement in the French Indian War. Now, if you're not familiar with that, the French Indian War was basically sort of a territory dispute between the French and the English. The French were kind of um, uh, kind of prodding the English. They're infringing a little bit on land. Uh, it's kind of why we have a bit of a, uh, a mixture of the languages in in Canada, you know, you've got French Canadian and regular Canadian, all that, uh, or English Canadian, excuse me, and um, 
So that was interesting. But what was cool about it, so back then in war, uh, this story is amazing about him. And this points to the divine providence that they gave God credit for, you know, protection and um, just being with someone. George Washington was a, a, a was a general in the British Army, and he well he was you know he he led a small group of militia in the area, and back then war, um, the art of war they they did uh, like open combat, so they're dressed you know the British had the nickname of redcoats because they dressed in this regal bright red that you could see for miles away, and. Uh, it was supposed to be super imposing and intimidating when they came up to you and like, you know, we're coming. The British are coming. Um, but so but this wasn't really effective in war in the co- the colonies because you had the Native Americans there who were, you know, used to fighting, you know, like the normal style that we know today. You you take cover. You've got the guns. You take cover and you shoot from behind the tree or or the rock or whatever. The British had, you know, they considered that to be cowardice to be always hiding behind an object when you went into open combat with somebody kind of a uh antiquated uh form of fighting you know you want to you want to fight me come at me bro that kind of thing uh be a man come at me look me in the eye that kind of thing but um not really effective in war as far as the french indian conflict was concerned because we had plenty of instances where George Washington was in command of uh, a couple of troops and he he warned against this kind of warfare and he was like this doesn't work here you know you've got the woods you've got the Native Americans hiding in, in all, all different they're hiding in the forest and they're waiting to ambush you so uh, you need to take cover but uh, the commander Braddock ignored this and you know is going adhering to the traditional view of war, be a man, come out in the open, fight me. But it wasn't working. Um, Close to a 1,000 men died before uh, Braddock himself was wounded and had to be carried off of the battlefield. And uh, Washington, therefore, assumed command at that point because he actually knew what he was doing. And so um, this is a very interesting story about him because they're getting, you know, mowed down pretty much by the opposing force, uh, French and Indian, of course, or Native American. Um, let me pull that up again. I just had it. And this was considered legend for a while because this was a story that was considered integral to the history of Gen- uh, General Washington. And then it was taken out in the 1930s because there's a lot of people who suspect, you know, that this was kind of the start of taking... Um, you know, supernatural occurrences and things that are merely spiritual and not um, verifiable through natural observation, out of out of textbooks, out of history, um, that kind of thing, and not considering it fact. But this this was considered fact because it was um, it was verified by different accounts. It was verified by the British, by the French by the Native Americans who were there, and you're about to find that out here. It's a very miraculous thing. So, let's see. When, uh, yeah, there were 976 casualties before Washington could save what was left 
A British soldier, soldier recorded, I expected every moment to see him fall. Nothing but the superintending care, superintending care of Providence could have saved him. And so, uh, basically, he, he uh, Washington was mad, but you know he did his job and he, he saved as much as he could out of that battle. Uh, later on, um, fifteen years later, it says Washington and Doctor Craik, a personal physician and close friend, were traveling through the same woods where the battle was near the Ohio River. Uh, they met an old Native American chief who addressed Washington through an interpreter with a story. And I'll just, um, I'll amend the story here. I'll make it, you know, uh, I'll abridge it here. He says, basically, the chief saw Washington and how basically he was, you know, he, he stood out, out of all of them. He wasn't like all the other redcoats. He, he quotes, he's not of the redcoat tribe. He hath an Indian's wisdom, and his warriors fight as we do, himself alone exposed. Quick, and he's telling you soldiers, quick, let your aim be certain, and he dies. Our rifles were leveled, rifles which, but for you, knew not how to miss. And so, they were really good. These guys knew how to handle these weapons. It wasn't like Native Americans were like, what? Guns? <laughs> they knew what they were doing. Uh, it wasn't a bunch of savages trying to come after them, you know, with, uh, you know, bow and arrow. They, they were well-trained soldiers coming after the British. And it says, our, it was all in vain, and a power my far, mighty far, mightier, excuse me, it was all in vain, a power mightier far than we shielded you. One warrior declared, I had 17 fair fires at him with my rifle, and after all could not bring him to the ground. Seeing you were under the special guardianship of the Great Spirit, we immediately ceased to fire at you. That, that's from the mouth of the opposing side. They gave glory to God in that moment. So, you think that God's not involved in the history of America and its founding, think again. That's just one story. And um, this is kind of the beginning of George's rise to fame and power and his, um, his role in the American story and the American experiment of becoming a people that were a self-governing republic. So that, that was for George Washington's beginning. But, and I want to go over something he said towards the end of his life and at the end of his political career, at the end of his presidency, he's, um, George Washington was, con um, was persuaded to take a second term. And, but then after that, he decided not to take a third term. This is where the tradition that most presidents follow came from. Most presidents take the uh, tradition of only taking two terms out of respect and honor for him. The only one I think who took a third might have been, I think it was Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Um, and I think that's it. Or it was Theodore Roosevelt. I can't remember which Roosevelt. But anyway, so he, he did that. But he has in his um, his farewell address, it's a very popular farewell address. Um, most take the content that it states about the isolationism philosophy that he had for America, and they um, 
they center their discussion of his of his farewell speech on that but really he had a lot to say about the founding father's philosophy and um his stance on morality and religion and now back then religion was not all world religions uh, back in you know the american colonial times yeah they had a couple of um of Jewish folks there, but they had mostly different denominations of Christian and Catholic. Um, they did not have a bunch of Buddhists and Islamic uh, Muslims and uh, Hindus and different world religions represented in this point in America's history. So when he refers to religion, he is referring to the Christian faith because um, I'll point out what he says here. I loved this. I was researching it. I'm like, oh, that just put, ties it all together. He says, I'll, I'll go ahead and probably quote the whole thing. Of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. In vain would that man claim the tribute of patriotism who should labor to subvert these great pillars of human happiness, these firmest props of the duties of men and citizens. The mere politician... I like that he just kind of undermined how sometimes the politicians, the mere politician, politicians kind of are, have a reputation of boosting themselves up. And, you know, you got to promote your agenda to in order to get in office. I get that. But... Uh, there nowadays there's a bit of a pompous attitude that politicians have taken on and he totally undercuts that and i love that he says the mere politician equally with the pious man ought to respect and cherish them he says the politician has just as much of a responsibility to uphold religion and morality as central to the ability to self-governance as anything else in fact, this is of utmost importance. This is central. And let me skip down. He talks about how religion and morality are central to the oaths that are taken in the courts of justice. Talking about our justice system. And he's talking about the quote, he says, Where is the security for property? And so on and so forth. If the sense of religious obligation desert the oaths which are the instruments of investigation in courts of justice. Let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Whatever may be conceded to the influence or of refined education on minds of peculiar structure, reason, and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle. So that answers the question that I even hear a lot of Christian apologists say that it's possible to have morality outside of the confines of uh, religious thought. Now, it, it is possible to be a moral person and maybe deny that religion had anything to do with it, but you're deceiving yourself. The concept of a moral structure comes from a religious thought. It comes from there being someone who is... Uh, responsible for you, someone who is responsible for telling you and is keeping you responsible, um, what's the term? Accountable. 
there's a higher being keeping you accountable for the actions that you take. And and this is something that even modern historians get right. They talk a lot about how um, the thought behind the Revolutionary War philosophies and the structures that are brought into American government are influenced and inspired by a lot of things said by those in the Enlightenment period. The Enlightenment period was uh, something that the the Revolutionary War time period takes place at the tail end of. I, I mentioned Isaac Newton, who was someone who uh, contributed to the Enlightenment period. He was a part of that time period as well. There are many others who were involved in it. John Locke is a big one that we get a lot of quotes from him. Um, some some of those who are involved in the not-so-godly side of that movement where people like Voltaire um, and others like him, they, they contributed to the experiment of self-government um, as idealized and tried out, experimented with in the, the French Revolution. And, you know, not to, well, it, I mean, we, we all kind of know how that went. It, they, they had political upheaval for years, and they couldn't even consistently keep self-governance for very long they have it today and they've had it for a while now but it's because they they toned everything down and they they got things simmered out um but there's an atheism involved in it that lends to the instability that we saw in the early french uh self-governance period which napoleon kind of put a wrench in that too because he wasn't obviously for democracy. He was a dictator and had grand, grandiose uh, thoughts, you know, visions of grandeur for an empire that he was creating. And again, we know all, we all know how that went. But back to, back to Washington, back to the fact that national morality cannot prevail in exclusion of religious principle. That's the quote here. So, and just to answer, I mentioned earlier that religion was not all world religions being represented. While there is freedom of religion here in America, and it does, it does state that in our Constitution, we adhere to that. Um, the, he, George Washington states here, with slight shades of difference, he says this before this other quote, he says, you have the same religion, manners, habits, and political principles. You have in common cause fought and triumphed together. The independence and liberty you possess are the work of joint councils and joint efforts of common dangers, sufferings, and successes. That, he said, with slight shades of difference, you have the same religion. And that, that was important because they were gathering their concepts for morality and virtue from their religion. From Christianity. And you can't really deny that. They did not get them from an atheistic religious mindset. It, you know, atheism kind of is a religion because it takes a lot of faith if you're somebody who is atheistic and says, well, I, I follow science, I follow what is observable in our natural universe to depict to me what is real and I don't believe something that I can't see with my eyes that cannot be studied and observed. Okay, sure. But you believe in the Big Bang. 
more than likely. And, you know, it takes faith to believe that something came out of nothing. That's basically what all religions come down to. Like, how did we get here? There wasn't, you know, the nothing did not create something out of itself. Something had to spark it. And so you just can't get away from the fact that God started this. And uh, I'll probably talk a little bit in the near future about uh, about people like Richard Dawkins and um, Stephen Hawking, different people like this who had, you know, you know, they're not, they are ones who oppose religion entirely, but how some of their thoughts might actually contribute, and even Nietzsche, there, some of these guys are famous for the uh, shying away uh, of holding to religious thought as central for increase in learning and uh, scholar, in scholastic pursuit, education, and so forth. And, um, they contribute to it based on just, you know, the claims that they're making that it's like, you know, it's obviously not true. <laughs> There's some things you're not, you're saying that are just, you know, they're not true and they're easily refutable. I'll probably go into like an opposite, you know, I'm talking about how, how God is found throughout all aspects of life and his existence and his, um, his dealings with man and his interaction with man are undeniable and that's why I'm going over the American uh, some American history today to uh, help solidify that point. But things like this are going to be multi-part, obviously. But today, it's just George Washington, and I'll go over a little bit of what Benjamin Franklin said, too. Because, you know, there are some that say, okay, America, sure, there were some Christian roots, but they were mostly deists. And deists were people who basically believed that God set up the world and he set it like a like a stopwatch and he just has let it go and he's not going to interfere with its course until the end of time, until the stopwatch, so to speak, clicks to the zero hour and he's like, all right, we're done. <laughs> but that's not how God does things. God is very much involved in the course of human events. And uh, there's a direct quote there from actually one of our beloved um, founding fathers who was an inventor. A, you know, he had his newspaper. Um, he, he, he put things in print. He was central in... Uh, he's on our $100 bill. <laughs> it's Benjamin Franklin. And he makes a plea to Congress when they are trying to draft the Constitution of the United States. They had the uh, they had a document beforehand but it was not working. So but so they were trying to revise it and get a different document here. They had the Confederate States of America pretty much and it was like, "Oh, this isn't working." Um and so they had a time period where they were just not making progress at all. Because, you know, it's the middle of summer, they're getting hot, and so are their tempers. They're trying to figure out how, how they're going to get all of these balances of powers figured out, how representation's going to work, and they're just at each other's throats. And so Benjamin Franklin gets up. He's the oldest of all of them. He says, Mr. President, he, he, he's speaking to the House 
uh, president here, the small progress that we've made after four or five weeks close, close attendance and continual reasonings with each other are different sentiments on almost every question, several of the last producing as many no's as I's, yeses, is methinks a melancholy proof of the imperfection of the human understanding. We indeed seem to feel our own want of political wisdom since we have been running out, running about in search of it. We have gone back to ancient history for models of government and examined the different forms of those republics which, having been formed with the seeds of their own dissolution, now no longer exist, and we have viewed modern states all around Europe but find none of their constitutions suitable for our, to our circumstances. Uh, he's going over our their situation in this situation of this assembly grouping as it were in the dark to find political truth and scarce able to distinguish it when presented to us how has it happened sir that we have not hitherto ought but once thought of humbly applying to the father of lights to eliminate our understandings in the beginning of the contest with great britain when we were sensible of danger we had daily with daily prayer in this room for the divine protection. Our prayers, sir, were heard, and they were graciously answered. All of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of an in superintending providence in our favor. To that kind providence we owe this happy opportunity of consulting in peace on the means of establishing our future national felicity, and have, now, and have we now forgotten that powerful friend, or do we imagine that we no longer need his assistance? Wow. And uh, that's coming from the one founding father that everybody's like, oh, he wasn't that religious. He's one of the ones that they considered a deist. And it's like, dude, have you not read this? Have you not seen all the things he says? It's like, I just, boom, debunked. Um, Man, I love this quote. And so the rest of it goes on to say, we need to, we basically need to, but put prayer back into these meetings because we're not getting anywhere without it. And so that's something that I'm going to leave you all with. We need prayer. We need God's help in everything. As a Christian, you need Jesus. If somebody is watching this is like, well, I'm not a Christian. You need Jesus. And this nation needs Jesus. This nation needs God. And God has need of this nation. We And we'll, again, like I said, I'm going to be going over lots of instances where America has proved to be very godly in not just its foundation, but God has constantly turned her heart back to him on numerous occasions. You have, um, you have, the, great, you have the Great Awakening that came even before the Revolution that got everyone's hearts turned turned towards God. You have the second one, which occurred shortly after uh, the War of 1812 and during the eight, uh, 1800s period. And then you have the Azusa Street Revival, where God moved in the beginning of the 20th century. And that brought about a, one of the biggest missionary outreaches of the, of the whole world. Thanks to that, and even before that, um, you have America as one of, if not the leading missionary uh, sender-outers, that's not a word, but <laughs> one of the biggest uh, 
proponents of the gospel to the entire world, to Africa, to the Far East, to South America, you name it. America has sent missionaries to like pretty much every nation, any nation you can think of that is uh, accessible to us. And um, I can't remember the percentage right now, but I'm pretty sure it's in the 90 percentile, 80 to 90 percentile range of uh, the number of missionaries that are in the world today are sent out by America. That's what I mean by they're the biggest sender outers. <laughs> so um, America is not unchristian. And to call it not a Christian nation is a big mistake. Not because we don't have other religions being represented in our nation today, but because, and not even because Christianity is the majority religion in uh, in America today, there's a lot of people who are denying their Christian faith, or those who you know claim it but they don't live it, and both are, um, both are tragic, both are, not, uh, both are unfortunate circumstances that we find ourselves in right now, but I'll go back to what George Washington said. If I can pull it up here, he's basically saying, and I also um, quoted uh, Tolkien talking about how religion had basically just inter intertwined itself in his story so much that it would have been a mistake for him to try and extract it from from his work. I, I said that last week, and it was kind of like, that's why it was so important for him to keep it in. Not just because he had to be true to his beliefs, which that was true. Uh, he had such strong beliefs that came from his Catholic faith. He, he didn't even like that they took Latin out of the Catholic Mass. He was that traditional in his belief and that strong, ardently um, passionate about what he believed. So to say that he was unreligious too is a mistake and um, not honest, not intellectually honest to, um, to that point. But to just to get back to what um, George Washington was saying, he was saying something of the same nature about America, that America is so ingrained with the religious nature, the nature to seek after God, that our roots are so founded deeply in God and our need for him that it would be a mistake to depart from it. It's a central pillar to our nation. It's like trying to, it's like trying to play Jenga and get rid of the one block that's holding everything together. And the challenge that we have today is that we've developed that, that, uh, game of Jenga to where we've, you know, built up and gone higher and higher and higher and we have this huge rack of of blocks that are not solid anymore. They're, you know, they're hanging on by a thread and there's one block holding all of these things together in our nation. And that thing is that God is central to our nation's rise to power, our nation's sustainability, and our nation's stability. We do not have a stable, unified nation without God. You'll, you even see that in the Civil War, where uh, Abraham Lincoln has many calls to prayer in his time. Um, both sides were dependent on God and looking to him. And that's why eventually the South was like, you know what, this isn't really worth it. And it was, it was done for after that. There are plenty who held to, you know, keeping a, a Southern... Um, uh, keeping the southern states, of course, but those people were not wholly focused on what what God required and intended, and um, many were 
driven on by a, a, a racist ideology. I don't deny that. Obviously, that, that was something that was in, in the hearts of a lot of people. But the, the people who we cherish and love the most from our founding fathers, the, those core people, the people who signed the Declaration of Independence, who ratified the Constitution, the ones who made the biggest contribution to our nation's uh, success and sustainability, they, they have godly virtue. They are full of godly virtue, and they were not full of evil intent at all towards any group of people. They were not full of in, uh, evil intent towards um, any government, and they were not selfish by any means. These founding fathers were very virtuous in the realist sense. Not in a fake, uh, you'll hear the term nowadays, virtue signaling, which came from COVID. But um, anyway, yeah, they, they have the goods. And to extract godly principles and the name Jesus out of our founding history is a big mistake. So I'll be revisiting this topic a lot in the following, in the podcasts to come. Maybe not immediately. I have a lot of different things I want to introduce to you guys. Um, It is yet to be discovered what I will talk about next week. There are so many different directions I could go in. But, um, yeah, very important, the, the history of America, that God is found in that, even though others would claim it's not there. Again, it's a mistake to say that not intellectually honest. So, I will be done. I will bid you all adieu. And if I don't see you again tomorrow, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Ten bucks to the person who can name the movie that that's from. Still haven't gotten it. Oh, also, I don't know if you guys know, but um, we are looking to get a thousand followers on Facebook here right now because once we do you're going to see a video from us doing the hot chip challenge. So me and Jordan are going to finally join forces and do the hot chip challenge. We might do it before then, but I'm not sure. Not the hot chip challenge, join forces. But uh, I got to mentally prepare. And we, are, we actually got to get a thousand people to do the hot chip challenge. I'm not, I'm not doing that unless we do that. <laughs> but we, we would love for you to follow us, like, like our page, follow us. Uh, ask us questions, you know, give us, um, we're looking for suggestions on things to talk about in our uh, different segments, in our Epic Gnosis segment. I'm looking for um, subjects where you can find God in the things that you might not uh, look, you, know, you might not see those things on surface level, uh, or things that you might not think uh, at first, like, oh, you, you can find God in this thing. Um, and of course, Jordan has things that, he has Christian phrases that uh, people are uh, people say a lot, and he debunks those. And then he, you know, he talks about different things he likes. He's a he's a big Marvel fan. So am I. Uh, I might talk about Marvel at some point in my in my ramblings as well. But anyway, those are suggestions that we have. I just wanted to remind you all of those things, and um, we look forward to hearing from all of you. Uh, and tell your friends and family. Tell you know, share our page, share our podcasts on all the platforms that you got, uh, the links and whatnot. And, you know, get the word out about us. We're, uh, you know, we're excited to have all of you on board with us, following us, and 
Um, yeah, stay tuned. And we will see you all. We'll see you eventually, but we'll talk to you next time. Have a good day.